0: so um <clears throat> today we're going to oh, turn on the mic and then after that um, uh, so today we're going to talk about um, how we should live as Christians in a world that is de-Christianizing. and um, that that word maybe that's not one you use in your vocabulary a lot but um, but how do you how do you live in a de Christianized world as a Christian um, and i should I should you know throw in a caveat which is that The world is not de-Christianizing. Actually, in the global south, Christianity is growing very quickly. Um, it's expected to be the majority religion in the world, um, by 2060, I believe. Um, but that's not happening in the, the places where Christianity spent so much of the last 2,000 years in Europe and in North America. Um, so, so they have been de-Christianizing. And as a result of that, the, the alliance between Christians and society um, has been breaking down. Increasingly, society is going one way and Christians are going a different way. And that's what we're going to talk about. Where should Christians go as society kind of uh lets go of the idea of Christendom, the idea of a of a world that is run by Christ. So so the question is, how do how do um Christians live in a de Christianized world, or particularly how do Christians live in a post-Christendom world? Where, for the first time in um, fifteen hundred years in in the West, in in Europe and North America, Christians are not necessarily the majority, and they're certainly not making all the rules anymore. So, how should Christians live? You know, two hundred years ago, it was obvious how Christians should live they should They should live the way everybody else did or everybody else aspired to do, because that just kind of came baked in with the culture. That's not something we can count on anymore. So. It raises the question for us, how should Christians live? And um, this question is obviously uh, a recent question because we're on the end of Christendom. But there was a beginning to Christendom. So we can look at the way that people uh, lived before Christendom and see an answer to us there. And that's what we're looking at today in um, Paul's letter to um, to the churches in Galatia. So um, back before there was a Christendom, there were people who were trying to figure out how they should live, and that's what we're going to look at today. So um, Paul wrote the, the letter to the Galatians, so that's uh, uh, Europe and uh, the Middle East, and we're going to be looking at um, uh, several places that Paul mentions in our reading. So Galatia generally is thought today to be South Galatia, so the, the bottom part of uh, what is today Turkey. And then Paul mentions other places. He mentions Antioch and Jerusalem. So those are on the Mediterranean coast. Antioch and Jerusalem further north and Jerusalem further south. And one of the things that may, may be jarring, we're so accustomed to maps where north is up. Paul says, I went up to Jerusalem. And he means I went uphill to Jerusalem, not not up up on the map northward. So. So, um, Paul, Paul is writing a letter to them, and we're picking it up where we left off last week. And if you weren't here last week, you can catch up online. But basically, Paul wrote this letter in, in, um, a great deal of agitation because he said that those churches, the churches there in South Galatia, had, had been aban- had started abandoning something, um, they, that Jesus had delivered us from this present evil age, and they were walking away from that. So what does Paul mean when he talks about uh, being delivered from the present evil age. Well, uh, Christians and uh, before Christians, Jews, obviously, um, had the idea that God is moving the world somewhere, that history is not just a cycle that repeats over and over again, um, nothing really ever changes or not for long. That's not what Christians believe. Christians and Jews before us believe that the history is actually going someplace, that we would talk about things like the present evil age or, the, the world as it exists, with heartache and dams that break and, and uh, dengue fever and all the other problems of the world, that is the present evil age. And when God uh, brings history to its culmination, then a new age will begin, the age to come. So that's what Jews believed, uh, and uh, that was a very conventional uh, understanding. The, Lord, the day of the Lord would come, and then the new age would begin. And what Paul said is, that's right, but in Christ we now understand it differently. We understand that the present evil age continues in a parallel way alongside the age to come, that Jesus has already brought that new age into being. Jesus has, uh, in his death and resurrection, he has brought about the new age. And sometimes it's called the kingdom of God, sometimes it's called the age to come. Um, but it is this idea that Jesus has made it available So it is now it is now accessible to us right now. And when we move from the present evil age to the age to come, we are being delivered. So Paul is using the language of Exodus, that in the same way the Jews were delivered from their slavery in Egypt to freedom in the Promised Land, Paul is saying we can be delivered from the present evil age into the age to come. And so that's the place we're at now. Jesus has not returned, but he has come. The day of the Lord has come, but the second coming has not yet happened, so we are there in the middle. So, that's the, that's the, the, the frame of mind Paul is writing this from. And the, 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 the big idea here for Paul is that this is not advice. This is not telling you, hey, the day of the Lord is coming, you better get right with God, you better do these things, and you better stop doing these things. Paul is saying, no, no. I have an announcement for you. The day of the Lord has already come. That Jesus has already inaugurated the age to come. And that's why the word that he uses is good news. So uh, euangelion or, or um, evangelion is, is good news, literally good news. And that's what the word gospel, is. an old English word or something that means good news. And um, and. It is good news. It's not good advice. It's not instructions about how to get right with God. It's an announcing the good news of what God has already done. So Paul says, I'm amazed with that With that going on, with that having happened. I'm amazed you're so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ to follow another gospel, a different story about the good news. So what had happened is that other people came along and they said, they said, Paul's doing it wrong. Paul's got the wrong gospel. And so Paul's saying, no, I'm amazed that you would follow what they call a gospel. They, they call it a gospel. They're wrong. That my picture is the accurate one. And so um, what we're going to look at um, through parts of this of this series is why someone would do that. Why would someone abandon the, the gospel? Why would someone abandon the gospel and go back to... Um, to slavery, go back to Egypt, go back to the present evil age. Why would somebody do that? But today we're going to ask, how do you even do that, right? If Jesus has brought us into the new age, how do we, how do you go back? So how do you desert the gospel? How do you leave what Jesus has brought us into? So that's, that's the background that we're, we're, (laughs) I see some furrowed brows out there. That's, that's the puzzle, right? How do you do it? You know, I, I understand Jesus can bring us there, right? But Paul's, Paul's saying, but some people have left. So how do you leave? How, how do you abandon the age to come? So that's the question that Paul is going to be looking at here. So we're picking it up in verse 18 of chapter one. He says, then after three years. So, uh, he, the part we looked at last week, he finished by talking about his conversion. Paul persecuted the church and then on the road to Damascus, Paul became a believer. He started to follow Jesus and he says that, that I did these things for the first three years and now after three years, um, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. So Cephas, another name for Peter, he stayed there 15 days. So he says, I didn't go up there to, to go to seminary, right? I didn't spend three years studying from Peter. Tell me all about the gospel. He says, I already knew the gospel. Jesus told me the gospel on my uh road to on the road to damascus so he says i did go up to jerusalem though and and if people are saying well didn't peter straighten you out then he says he says um, that this is the occasion so in acts 9 when Saul arrived in jerusalem he tried to join the disciples but they were all afraid of him they didn't believe he was really a disciple so they were afraid of him until barnabas introduced him and then they said okay that's really great so um you know it's great that that you have become a christian um, and stop persecuting us already. So, so they're happy with Paul. And he says, "But no, I didn't go there to get any instructions." Um, he says, "In fact, I didn't see any of the other apostles except James, the brother of the Lord." Before God, I'm not lying about the things that I'm writing to you. He says, "You know, in fact, the only ones I saw were Peter and and." Um, James, the brother of the Lord. I didn't, you know, there was nobody else who could teach me. There were our disciples in Jerusalem, but of among the people who had actually met Jesus and had received a commission from him, it was just me, Peter, and James. So, so um, that's that's what that visit was. And then he says, "Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, but I wasn't known personally by the Christian churches in Judea." So he names some more places. So. Uh, Syria and Cilicia, that's the region around Tarsus and and Antioch. So the the northern part, kind of that, you know, the armpit of the Mediterranean there. So that little spot there. Um, And then uh, Judea is the area around Jerusalem. So he says, the people in Judea didn't know me. I mean, they, they remembered years earlier that I had been persecuting the church, but they probably wouldn't have known me because if they saw me, I would have arrested them. Right, So they were hiding from me, and so they knew about me, but they probably didn't know who I was. They only knew a report. So the people in Judea, they only heard a report about me. The man who used to harass us now preaches the faith that he once tried to destroy. So they were glorifying God because of me. Far from saying, hey, wait a minute, Paul, you got it wrong. Your gospel is wrong. You need to straighten it out. You need to get clear on some issues here. They were saying, this is great, God is actually at work way off in Antioch. God is doing these things among the Gentiles. This is a great, this is a great revelation to us. It gives us more confidence in our own faith because we see what God is doing out in the rest of the world. So he says, he said they were glorifying God because of me. So Paul, Paul's point here is that he was not commissioned by Jerusalem leaders. He was commissioned by Jesus on the road to Damascus. He's not there to get instructions from them about about what to do or about what the gospel is. I already know that, Jesus told me. So he says, then, after 14 years, so 14 years since his conversion, 11 years since his last trip to Jerusalem, he says, I went up to Jerusalem again with Barnabas, and I took Titus along also. He says, I went there because of a revelation. So probably what he's referring to is in Acts 11, um, we read, about that time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them predicted that a severe famine would take over, would overtake the entire Roman world. So the disciples decided they would send support to the brothers and sisters in Judea, with everyone com- contributing according to that person's abundance. They sent Barnabas and Saul to take this gift to the elders. So that's his next trip to Jerusalem. He goes there, bringing this gift along with Barnabas, and he says, he says, um, he says, I brought Titus with me. And I think the reason is because now it's 14 years on. Paul's been preaching this message, and he's got some sense. There are people who think he's got it wrong. And I think he brings Barnab- uh, he brings Titus along with him on this trip, as we'll see. So he says, I went there because of a revelation. I went to Jerusalem because of a revelation. And I laid out the gospel that I preached to the Gentiles for them. So I reminded them, here's what I've been preaching for the last 14 years. So nothing has changed with me I've been telling people in in Cilicia and now in Galatia uh, this is what this is what the gospel is this is the good news about Jesus so I laid it out for them um, but I did it privately with the influential leaders just to make sure I wouldn't be working or I hadn't worked for nothing he says you know I' just to make sure that that they're not going to try and say no you've got it wrong you know he says let's let's double check this let' make sure we're right and so he did and They had an opportunity, if he was preaching it wrong, they had an opportunity there with Titus, and he says, not even Titus, who was with me and who was a Greek, was required to become circumcised. But false brothers and sisters who were brought in secretly slipped in to spy on our freedom, which we have in Christ Jesus, to make us slaves. So, what does he mean by that? So, here's what was going on. We, we, you know, we have to, we have to kind of interpret what is the problem that Paul's talking about? And you know, you can do that by reading the footnotes, but, um, but sometimes we can find it if we just wait and read the rest of the text, it kind of creeps in. So now we're finally getting it. What was the problem? He says these false brothers were brought in. So earlier we just heard that the Galatians had abandoned the gospel. Now we know why these false brothers have, have slipped in and they are spying on our freedom. And they are trying to make us slaves. So, what's he talking about? Well, let's let's look at it from the false brother's point of view. So, this is our same picture before. This is the, the current age and the age to come. So, in the current age, God has given Israel Torah. He has given them the law. This is what sets you apart. This is what makes you different from everybody else. The Gentiles, they, they run after all kinds of idols. But you have the law. So, that's the provision that God has made for the present evil age. If you stick to Torah, you won't have the problems that the Gentiles do who follow uh, who follow these idols. And, he's, and the other thing that they knew from the prophets and so forth is that in the age to come, when God sets everything right, there will no longer be any idolatry. And so the false brothers, they say, well, there must be Torah. Right? But that's not, that's not the way Paul sees it. That's not the way Paul heard it. Paul says no. The present evil age has these provisions. Torah and idolatry. You know, I I don't know if you'd call idolatry a provision, but it's something people engage in during the present evil age. They engage in all kinds of idols. And, you know, I could preach a sermon on the, the idols we have, but in the first century it was very straightforward. You actually had Idols, carved things made out of stone and metal and so forth. So, so there are lots of idols in the present um, evil age, but there was the law, there was the the Jewish law, Torah. And Paul says, yes, there was, and those belong to the previous age. Just like idolatry, so does Torah also belong to that age? He says, in the age to come, we have faith in the gospel. That is what God has provided in the age to come, that is now already underway. So he says, if you decide to follow Torah, and in particular, he's talking to people in Galatia, he's not talking about people like him who were raised following Torah. He's talking about people who just heard about Torah yesterday. And he says, when they tell you, you need to be circumcised, or you need to obey these dietary laws, or you need to to do all the other things, then what they're really doing is they're saying, go back to the other age. Because in the other age, you need Torah. In the, in the present evil age, you, you do need Torah. And he's saying, that's the problem. They're trying to send you back to the present evil age. They're trying to move you out of the age to come. So just as coming from the present evil age into the the, the age to come is delivery. It's it's being delivered. In the same way Doing the other, going the other direction is to be enslaved. So it's like going back to Egypt. So he says, we didn't give in and submit to them for a single moment so that the truth of the gospel would continue to be with you. And the influential leaders didn't add anything to what I was preaching. They had the opportunity. They could have corrected me verbally or they could have made Titus submit to Torah. They could have made Titus get circumcised and they didn't. So we not only have my word on what they did, but we have proof. If they had wanted to, that's why I brought him. He was there, not just to bring the money, but also so they would have had an opportunity to say, you need to be circumcised. So he says, they didn't do that. They didn't add anything to what I was preaching. And then he says, and whatever they were makes no difference to me because God doesn't show favoritism. Um, the Just FYI. Just FYI, influential leaders means pillar. And sometimes we talk about the pillars of the church. Remember what Paul thinks about pillars. God doesn't show favoritism. So um, if you know somebody who's a pillar of the church, think to yourself, God doesn't show favoritism. So um, he says, On the contrary, they saw that I had been given the responsibility to preach the gospel to the people who aren't circumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. The one who empowered Peter to become an apostle to the circumcised, God, empowered me also to be one to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, who were considered to be key leaders, shook hands with me and Barnabas as equals when they recognized the grace that had been given to me. They said, sure enough, you are an apostle just like we are. So, you know, carry on. So it was agreed that we would go to the Gentiles while well, they would continue to go to people who are circumcised. Paul's using you know, the language here, the circumcised. For us, it's not its not always clear what he means by that. He means people who are under the law, people who are under Torah. Um, in in the first century, in, in the biblical language, in fact, uh, the word for Judean, the region, and the word for Jew are the same word. So we might say a Texan, right? They may not be in Texas, but they're from Texas. So in the same way, Paul's saying the circumcised because that's more clear because Peter has a commission that extends to everybody who's under the law, whether they're in Rome or whether they're in in Jerusalem. Wherever they may be, these, you know, Judeans, these Jews are the circumcised. So he says, that's Peter's mission. My mission is to people who are not under Torah. So, and then he comes back to the reason they were there on that trip. They asked that we would remember the poor, which was something certainly we were, I was willing to do. So, so Paul says, the way the way you live as a Christian in a world that is not Christian, Paul says, exactly. The world is not Christian. The world is part of this present evil age. And the way you live as a Christian is you live as someone who's part of the new age. He says, that's it. You just live that way. So he says, stay new age people. And I know new age has all kinds of connotations for us today. So another word would be kingdom of God stay kingdom people. Jesus has delivered you into the kingdom of God. Stay that way. Don't go back and use the things of the present evil age. That's how you live as present I mean as people in the in the new age people in the kingdom. And he says the the point he's making here is you can't add to the gospel. You can't say, "Well, look, I want to live in the new age, but I better live by Torah too, just in case." Right? He's saying, "No." Pick one or the other. You're in one age or the other, and Torah is for the past age. It is for the age that is passing away. So that is that is Paul's instruction to them. And therefore, since we're asking the same question on the other end of Christendom, it's his instruction for us. He says, he says, live as new age people. Have faith. Trust God. What does it mean to have faith? It means don't go back. Right? You know, think think again to the story of Israel in Egypt. Right. What is having faith? Faith is faith is the confidence that this place is better than Egypt. You know, I don't want to go back to Egypt. So that's all it means. Uh, Tim Keller, who died recently, he's he's got this wonderful illustration of faith because people start making it into something. It's not. So, again, using the Exodus language. So so God is delivering the people from from slavery in Egypt to freedom in the promised land. And you know famously, they went through the Red Sea on dry land. So his illustration goes like this. He says, so imagine there's two people, two Israelites who are on their way across the the, the the place that used to be the Red Sea, this channel that has been made by God. And he says, the first one is swaggering. He's strutting. He's going, you know, my God is, you know, all that. Right. And he is just walking through. Right. He's got faith. This water's not going to come down on him. okay. And the second guy, he comes along, and the entire trip across the Red Sea, he's going, I'm going to die, I'm going (laughs) to die, I'm going to die. And he makes it all the way across. He says, that's faith. That when people tell you that that you you need to have more faith or something, it's like, no, the faith is in God, who holds the water back. It's not something that you have more of or less, that you do more or less with that. So so all we have to do is say, yeah, I belong to the new age. That's faith. And when we start living as, as uh, people in the present evil age, then we are abandoning the gospel. So I tell you that because I've been a preacher long enough to know people always want to know at the end of a sermon, well, what am I supposed to do with this? And I just told you nothing. The important thing is you don't do anything. Because Jesus has rescued you, and now you know you should think. Well, wait a minute. If I do almost anything, am I abandoned? Right. That's a good place to be in mentally. So, do nothing. Right. But but um, because I have been a preacher for a long time, I know that people want to know what they should do. So so I'm gonna I'm gonna. This is not really where Paul's focus is at, but I want to point it out. He says he says they saw I had been given the responsibility to preach the gospel, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. So Paul has Paul is pointing out God gives people vocations. He got one vocation, Peter got another, and Christians believe that we all have vocations. That that you know I'm a you know I'm a dairy farmer or I'm a you know I'm a carpenter or whatever. I'm a preacher, right? Whatever whatever job I have, that is my vocation. We believe God calls us to our vocation. So we've been entrusted With that responsibility, the same way Peter and Paul had with theirs. And he says, The one who empowered Peter to become an apostle empowered me also. So, the same God who gives you your vocation empowers you to do it. So, if you want to do something, I would say, Do your job. Do whatever it is you do. You know, my job is, you know, a bricklayer, do that job. If your job is to be a grandparent, do that job. Do that. Trusting that that is what God gave you, um, his power to do well. So in in a different letter, Paul writes this, whatever you do, whether in speech or action, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus and give thanks to God the Father through him. If you do that, if you live as kingdom people, just trusting that God has called you to do something, to do whatever it may be in his name, living as kingdom people, living as new age people, then you're living in the new age. Let's pray. Holy and loving God, it is it is hard for us to have faith. We we think that well, I want faith plus maybe some Torah. Faith but also some some clean living. Faith but also some good deeds. Help us to trust that you have already moved us to the new age and that we don't have to do anything that was part of the age that is passing away. Give us this kind of faith so that we can live our lives trusting in your power as we do our work. Through Christ our Lord, amen.